for that word, Matt, through song, and that is true many times. This whole sermon series, we've uh, been calling it Who's Your One? Thinking of one person that you can be intentional to share the good news about who Jesus is and what he's done with that you could be praying for. We know that one of the main calls we have if we are calling ourselves Christ followers is to share that news of who Jesus is and what he's done with other people. We're called to make disciples. That was one of the last directives that God gave his people before he, uh, before Jesus ascended back to heaven. And we're given that call and it can be overwhelming at times because we're called to share Jesus with everybody. Uh, but to help us focus, we've been trying to, to think of one person throughout this series. I hope that you, you did do that, that you've been praying for that person, that you maybe even perherhaps got to share Christ with them at some point. And even if you haven't gotten to do that yet, even though this is the last Sunday in, that, in this series, uh, that you can still do that, okay? That you can still be thinking of a way to get up with that person even this week and share Christ with them. But as Matt's saying in that song, it can be awkward sometimes. It can be scary. It can be nerve-wracking because let's be honest, faith, religion, and things like that are one of those subjects that you just don't talk about with people anymore. You know, things like politics and serious stuff because, oh man, you can ruffle some feathers. But my friend, my friends this morning, I want you to think of that friend, that family, that loved one, that coworker, whoever that may be, and understand that the cost of not sharing with them is far, far higher than any discomfort you and I may feel in sharing Christ with them. We've been looking at Jesus' encounters with individuals. The first week we looked at his encounter with the Pharisee, Nicodemus, in John 3. Then we looked at his encounter with the woman at at, near the well in Samaria in John chapter 4. Last week we looked at his encounter uh, with Zacchaeus the tax collector in Luke chapter 19. This week we're not looking at an encounter that Jesus has with an individual, but we are looking at one of the main reasons, one of the main reasons why we need to share Christ with people. I'm calling this message something that no one wants to talk about, but everyone needs to. Something that no one wants to talk about, but everyone needs to. We're going to look at something today that, that nobody really wants to talk about that often, but we all need to talk about it, and that's eternity. See, here at Highland Baptist Church, and really any church, historically, the church has never been interested in your best life now, to quote the title of a popular book. Uh, we're not here so much for improving your life this side of heaven, although yes, that is something we want to see happen. We're not here so much to help you cope with the struggles of life this side of heaven, although again, that is something we want to do. What we're really interested in isn't so much your life this side of heaven, although yes, that is part of it. What we're really interested in is your eternity. Where are you going to exist for eternity? See, the scriptures teach that we were not created just for this earthly life to be born, to grow old, and then to die. No, the, the scriptures teach that we have something called a soul, something called a spirit that is going to continue to exist. Your consciousness is going to continue to exist in one of two places, either heaven or hell. But that's not even the end. One day Jesus is going to return to the earth according to the scriptures, set up his kingdom on earth, restore the earth to be what it was meant to be, 
without pain, without death, without sickness, without natural disasters, to, to live in, in perfect harmony where animals no longer kill one another but exist in perfect harmony where God and man exist together. But that's only for those who have trusted in Christ. Everybody's going to be resurrected. Their bodies are going to be raised. Those who have trusted Christ are going to be resurrected to live with him in the new heavens and the new earth. Those who have not trusted him are going to be raised only to die an eternal death in a place called hell or the lake of fire. And this morning, I want to look at what Jesus had to say about our eternal existence. See, we, if you're here this morning, and especially those of you who are here for VBS, and even if you're not here for that, but, but especially those of you who are, you want good things for your kids, right? You want a good life for your kids. You want them to have good things, to have a good education, to have good experiences, to have good knowledge, to have good lives, to be good people. So do I. You want that for your grandkids, for your nephews, for your nieces. That's great. But more than that, we ought to want a good eternity for them and for ourselves. And that's what I want to talk to you about and look at what Jesus has to say this morning. Before we go any further, I would like to pray for us. So let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time before we get into the word this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each man, woman, and child here, each of our students who are here this morning. And I pray, God, now that you would have mercy on me, Lord, as we declare your word that you would use me this morning to accurately portray and accurately proclaim your word and that you would give us ears to hear, ears to listen, hearts to receive, God, eyes to see. Lord, as the scriptures say, Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a mind to understand. Let us hear your word and take it seriously and believe it this morning and live accordingly. God, open our eyes, open our hearts. Use this time to bring glory to your name. Remove every distraction, I pray. For it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Uh, we're going to be in Luke 9, uh, excuse me, Luke 16 this morning. Luke 16, we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 31. And again, we're talking about the subject of eternity and the two places that the Bible says we will exist after this life is over or when Jesus returns, whichever comes first. And talking about heaven and hell. But before we read the passage, uh, it's very interesting to me that belief in heaven and hell more or less used to be something you took for granted. I mean, it was just something that, that people believed. Even uh, about 20 years ago almost, in the year 2001, a survey was taken asking Americans if they believed in hell. 71% responded in the affirmative. Just seven years later, in 2008, that number shifted from 71% to 59%. And today, uh, our last year rather, one major survey I referenced, that number has dropped further still to 41% of Americans who would say they believe in a literal place called hell. Here's the deal, folks. The lack of belief in something doesn't make it unreal any more than merely believing in something makes it real. Something is either real or it isn't, and our belief should be adjusted accordingly. And this morning, I am asserting that hell and heaven are both very real, primarily for one main reason, because God has told us as much. Now, I know that reason may not re resonate with you right away, but that is ultimately the highest ground of truth, God himself and what he has declared. But just consider other reasons why hell probably exists. Think of the, the lack of justice that would not be there if there isn't an eternal recompense 
for those who have trusted Christ or not, for those who have done good and evil. Think of all who would get off basically scot-free for eternity if there was no such place as hell. If there was no distinction at the end of this life, it would just be a, a sick, unjust cycle that never ends. But we believe that God has told us. Now, before I get into, uh, I don't want to get so much into specific reasonings as to why you should believe in heaven and hell this morning uh, beyond what Jesus himself had to say about it. That's what I want our focus to be this morning. So look with me in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. And this is a parable that Jesus talked about, that Jesus told, that describes hell and heaven for us in vivid detail. Read it with me, Luke chapter 16, and keep your Bibles open to this if you have them, because we're going to be referencing this passage quite a bit this morning. This is what the Word of God says. Jesus was speaking here. He was speaking to the Pharisees, to a group of Pharisees. They were religious leaders at that time in, in Palestine. And this is what he says. He says, there was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. He longed, that is Lazarus, longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table, but instead the dogs would come and lick his sores. One day, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the, tongue of, the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this, in this flame. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things just as Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here. While you are in agony, besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you, so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot, neither can those from there cross over to us. Father, he said, then I beg you to send him to my father's house, because I have five brothers to warn them, so they won't also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes back to them, they will repent. But he told him, that is, Abraham told the rich man, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Now, this text was told, this parable was told to Jesus in response to the Pharisees' love of money. We know that that's the context. Luke 16, 13 through 15 says this, Jesus said, No servant can serve two masters, since either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all the, these things and scoffing at him. And he told them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the sight of others, but God knows your hearts, for what is highly admired by people is revolting in God's sight. So this is clearly about the right attitude towards and the right use of worldly wealth and possessions. But there's a bigger issue surrounding this, and that's the issue of where are we as humans going to spend eternity? We're either going to spend eternity in one of two places, and both of these places are described for us 
in this parable. Places called heaven, a place called heaven, and a place called hell. And Jesus tells us about the realities of these two places to warn and encourage us that we might spend eternity with him. That's why I told this parable, not just to, to beat people down or to scare people, although this can feel like a scare tactic, I assure you that's not the intent. The intent is to be real, to tell the truth, to tell the truth about the reality that awaits us when we die. And we want to understand these realities. And there's three points very simply that I have for you this morning. What is hell? What is in hell? And what is heaven? I want to talk about each of those in turn this morning. First, I want to be very blunt with each of you about what hell is. What is hell? It is a place that no one wants to go. Hell is a place that no one wants to go. Now, there are multiple terms for the place called hell in the New Testament. One we have here in this passage is the term Hades. Another term you see is Gehenna that's used about 12 times. Uh, hell is also described as outer darkness at certain places in the Gospels. And then in Revelation, we have a place, that, which is the last book of the Bible, uh, we have a place called the Lake of Fire, which is technically perhaps a separate place from hell, but it says that all the contents of death and Hades are cast into the Lake of Fire, so it's really a continuation of the existence of hell. It is to hell what we might say the new heavens and the new earth are to the present heaven. So we have those terms. Hell is described in those ways. There's a couple of things that I want you to see about hell that come right out of this text and other places of the Bible. The first is this, that hell is eternal. Hell is eternal. That means hell is unending. It doesn't stop. It's a continuous existence. Look in verse 25 of the passage we just read, Luke 16. When Abraham's talking to the rich man, he says this. He says, son, remember that during your life, you received your good things just as Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here while you are in agony. You are, you are presently in agony. That's in the present tense there. You are in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot, neither can those from there cross over to us. Notice that a chasm has been fixed. That verb there is in the, what we call the perfect tense. Now, perfect tense doesn't always do this, but oftentimes what it describes is something that was done in the past that has a present and continuous result. And that's the case here. A chasm's been fixed. It was fixed in the past, but the results continue on. Now, this passage alone may not fully describe the eternity of hell, but listen to this word from Revelation. The book of Revelation, chapter 14, verses 9 through 11. And another, a third angel, followed them and spoke with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast, that's speaking of the Antichrist there, and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, which is poured full strength into the cup of his anger. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the sight of the holy angels and in the sight of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will go up, here it is, forever and ever. There is no rest, day or night, for those who worship the beast in its image or anyone who receives the mark of its name. Now, you might hear that, depending on your view of Revelation, you might say, well, that's a specific prophecy. And I would say, yes, it is. It is a specific prophecy about those who follow the Antichrist in the time of the end. But guess what, folks? That's still true for anyone who doesn't follow Jesus, because the core essence of following the Antichrist 
isn't so much they, they worship the specific person who is the Antichrist, it's that they rejected the true Christ. So guess what? That's true of everyone who rejects God's Son here and now as well. That's the reality. It's eternal. It's also a place of pain, fear, and sadness. Hell is a place of pain, fear, and sadness. We see that. Verse 23, it says, and being in torment, being in torment in Hades. He looked up and saw Abraham a long way off, and then he said this, he said, have mercy on me, in verse 24, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony. I am in agony. That word there, that's a, that's a whole verb, I am in agony. It's a single word in the Greek that's in the present tense, and it means to undergo physical pain, torment, anguish. And it's in the present tense, that means he's constantly feeling it. Notice so much that he says, just let Lazarus dip his finger in water just to get a little bit. I mean, how much relief does that bring? If you're in the desert on a hot day or are just here in Fayetteville, for that matter, on a hot day, does a little drop of water satisfy you? No, but this guy is in so much pain that he says even a drop of water would bring some relief. That's some serious pain. That's some serious anguish. But that's how the Bible describes hell. It is a place that no one wants to go. Or do they? No, no one really wants to go to hell. And many of you probably have problems with the idea of hell. You might think, well, gosh, that just, how can a good and loving God send anyone to hell? Uh, how, how can hell be fair? It just seems like the punishment doesn't fit the crime. It just seems too cruel. I don't like the idea of hell, so how can anyone really believe in it? And those are all understandable thoughts. I, I want to say I can empathize with you this morning if you think that way. But here's the thing. Even though it's not a place anyone wants to go to, if your heart hasn't been changed, you don't really want to go to heaven either. You may not want to go to hell. You may not like the idea of hell. But the reality is, if your heart hasn't been changed to love Jesus, to love his word, to love God, you don't really want to go to heaven either. Heaven would be a place of, of misery for you. I don't think anyone would want to go to hell, certainly no one who understands what it is. But just because you don't want to go to hell doesn't mean you do, that you do want to go to heaven. I read something uh, a year ago or so, uh, I can't remember the exact day, that, that uh, the great evangelist Billy Graham went home to be with the Lord. When he did, there were many who reacted rightly, I think, by uh, recognizing his life and praising him and saying a lot of uh, positive remarks uh, in terms of his life and his impact for the gospel. But not everyone had positive things to say when Billy Graham passed away. I remember one comment in particular, and I'm going to paraphrase it here because I can't remember. I don't remember the person who said it, if they were a journalist or if they were just some random person commenting on the article, and this will be very offensive to you. It was very offensive to me. It still is in many ways, but I'm, I want to shape how you understand it here. The person said this, and this almost sounds blasphemous, and in many ways it is, but I want to explain it here in a second. The person had the gall to say, have fun rotting in hell. Now, if you're like me, it made you very angry when you heard that. It made me very angry. I was like, how dare that person think that about a man like Billy Graham, even if you're not a Christian. I mean, my gosh, how flippant can you be? But then I stopped and I thought about it for a second. 
And it occurred to me that for people like that person who said that comment, that's exactly how heaven would feel to them. Heaven, for them, would be hell. Here's the reason why. Because they can't stand God, a God who has all power, a God who has all authority, a God who has the right to tell them what they can and cannot do with their bodies, what is right and what is wrong. They can't stand for someone else to have authority and control over them. They want to call the shots. And that's not the way it works. God calls the shots. And that's the same God who is everything and everywhere in heaven. So why would they want to be there with him? They don't like him. They, they may like their idea of God, but friends, unless your idea of God matches the way God has revealed himself, your ideas are wrong. God doesn't call us to love our ideas of who he is. He calls us to love him for who he is. And Jesus and God are everything. They are the main thing in heaven that makes heaven heaven. So if you don't love God... If you just love your idea of God, if you don't love God's glory, if you don't love God's presence, heaven would be hell for you too. So just because you don't want to go to hell doesn't mean you want to go to heaven. So to go back to the questions, how can a loving God send anyone to hell? Well, that's the wrong question, folks. The right question is how could he not send them when that's when they don't want anything to do with him. There's only two options, folks. There's either being in the presence of God and all eternity in heaven, delighting in that presence, or being separated from him. That's what really makes hell hell. Not that God isn't aware of it or that God doesn't see it. He is aware of the existence of hell, but he's, not there to, he's no longer there to bless. He's no longer there to bless like he is in heaven. It's a separation from that blessing. But there again, that's essentially what people want. Yes, they may not want to go to hell, but they don't want to go to heaven either. So in a sense, what they want is to be separated from God. There it is. That's what hell is ultimately. That's what hell is. That's the first question we need to answer. The second question is this, what is in hell? It could surprise anyone. What is in hell? It could surprise anyone, even those of you who have grown up in church for years, and certainly those who perhaps aren't as familiar with what the Word teaches. What is in hell? It could surprise anything, anyone, excuse me. The first surprising thing that's in hell is good people. Good. Notice I'm putting good in air quotes there. Good people. Because here's the thing, nobody's truly good at least according to God's standard of good, which his standard is perfection. Jesus said this in Mark 10, 18. He said, why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. Notice he doesn't directly rebuke the person who asked him. He's subtly saying that he is God in the flesh. But ultimately, God is the only one who is truly good because God is the only one who is perfect. Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we've all fallen short in some way, shape, or form, folks. We've all missed the mark. We've all sinned. But that doesn't mean people can't be morally good, okay? People can be mostly morally respectable people even without following Christ. They can do morally good things. They can think morally good thoughts. This rich man was probably, other than the fact that he didn't care for Lazarus and willfully ignored him and loved his wealth, was probably mostly an upstanding person in the community. He was probably a respectable guy, a guy people could look up to and say, well, he seems like a good moral 
person. And there are lots of good, again, putting that in air quotes, people who don't love God. And God is what, remember, folks, makes heaven heaven. Sometimes people will say, though, well, why do, good thing, or why do bad things happen to good people? One theologian I greatly respect put it this way. He said, that only happened one time, and he volunteered. Just in case you don't know what I'm saying, it happened when Jesus went to the cross because he was the only one who was truly good. But there are morally good people in hell. What else is in hell that's surprising? Good memories, good priorities, and good intentions. Good memories, good priorities, and good intentions are in hell. Some of you have probably heard this well-known figure of speech, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Well, not just the road to hell, hell itself is, is full of good intentions. Look in verse 25. Abraham says to the rich man, remember that during your life, you received your good things. Remember, you received your good things. Remember, this man was a rich man. He had an abundance. That word rich meant he had an abundance of earthly possessions. It says he would dress in, in purple and fine linen. Uh, the word wood dress is actually in the imperfect tense that means that that was his, his custom way of life was to dress in, in purple and fine linen. And by the way, purple linen in this time was typically only worn by the wealthiest of the wealthy. It says he feasted lavishly. That word lavishly could also be translated splendidly. It carries the idea of great opulence and splendor. This man had good things to remember, but now that's all he had was memories memories. Then there's good intentions. The rich man asks Abraham, he says, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house to warn my brothers. That's a good intention. That's a good desire. That's a good priority. But it was too late for him at that point. There's also, along with good priorities and intentions, there's good prayers and good theology. There's good prayers and good theology in hell. Verse 24, he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. That's a good prayer. Father, send them to my father's house. That's a good prayer. There's also good theology. He says, because I have five brothers to warn them. He understands there's a need for his brothers to repent, to turn away from their sin so that they don't end up in hell. There's good theology. There's good prayers. That word to warn can even carry the idea of pleading with great seriousness. He has a, a good prayer there, a good understanding of the need of repentance. But that's not enough. Folks, the devil and Satan, the demon, Satan and the demons can articulate theology probably better than anyone in here. They can probably accurately explain who Jesus is, that he is the Son of God. Notice in the Gospels, every time Jesus cast out a demon, not every time, but almost every time, a lot of times the demons would say, I know who you are. You're the Son of the living God. And they were right. Satan, when he was tempting Jesus, quoted the Bible at length. There's good theology, but there's a difference between having good theology up here and having it in here, okay? There's a difference between being able to explain it in accurate terms with words and things and actually loving what you're explaining. See, Satan and the demons, they can quote the Bible and they can explain who God is. What they cannot do is love and take delight in who God is. 
This rich man didn't delight in God. He might could have. He knew there was a need for repentance. He knew there was a need to get out of hell. But he didn't really love God. He didn't really love the God who, through Abraham, he was attempting to pray to. That's the difference, folks. There's good theology in hell because Satan and the demons can, can talk about God. They can acknowledge God. They can acknowledge the Bible and quote it, but they can't love and take delight in it. Real faith doesn't just know who God is. It, it loves who God is and takes delight in him. Philippians 2, 10 through 11 says this, that at the name of Jesus, one day, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day, everybody's going to know that's true. Everybody's going to know that Jesus really was who he said he was. But for many, that day it will be too late. We are called to, to confess that now to del- and to do it with delight, not just, well, I know Jesus is Lord, so here's I'm, I'm doing my duty, God, are you happy? No, we should delight in that, the fact that, that God would offer salvation to us through grace. There's got to be more than just good theology. So those are the... The, the harder questions to answer, if you will, what is, what is hell and what is in hell? Lastly, I, I would be doing injustice this morning if I didn't talk to you about what is heaven. What is heaven? It's a place that no one should want to miss. Heaven is a place that no one should want to miss. Keep in mind, again, no one should want to miss. Because the fact is, unless you come to that point of faith in Christ, even if you don't want to go to hell, you don't really want to go to heaven either. But it's a place that no one should want to miss. Because just like hell, heaven is eternal. Heaven is eternal. Revelation 22.5 says, Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. That's talking about those who have come to, to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Next, heaven is a place of comfort and joy, whereas hell is a place of pain and torment suffering. Heaven is a place of of comfort and joy. Notice even here in verse 25, Lazarus says, Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here. He is comforted here. Heaven is a place of comfort and joy, and not just joy for a day or joy for a couple of days, joy forever and ever. And by the way, a joy that is not subject to what economists call the law of diminishing returns. How many of you know what that is, the law of diminishing returns? Everything that we, we get, eventually the, the satisfaction goes down. You know, I love a good ribeye, okay, that's cooked medium rare with blue cheese on it. I love it. But if I had it every day, it's not going to, it, the satisfaction's going to wear out. I mean, yeah, I might like eating it because I'm hungry, but I'm not going to enjoy it as much as, you know, having it as an occasional treat, which that's what it is for me, an occasional treat. I love it. The joy in heaven's not going to be like that. You're going to have experiences every day that are just going to get better and better and better. It's not going to wear out. It's not going to lose the joy that it brings. It's not going to be subject to the law of diminishing returns. That's what heaven is, a place of comfort and joy. It's also a place of community and protection. Whereas we see this rich man isolated and alone in Hades, we see that that the poor man, Lazarus, is with Abraham and presumably others. And that's the way heaven is described constantly in the scriptures. 
as a place full of the redeemed, full of the elect, full of those who have come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior from all of eternity. And the Old Testament saints, too. Just think about that. Not only are you going to get to see your loved ones who have who trusted Jesus, who knew Christ as Lord and Savior, but you're also going to get to see the saints from all of eternity. You're going to get to meet men like the Apostle Paul, like St. Augustine, like Ignatius. That's from way, way back. I don't expect you all to know who they are. Charles Spurgeon, um, and on and on we could go. Just think about how incredible that will be. Heaven, finally, and perhaps most importantly, is a place for those who have heard. And when I say heard, I don't just mean hear with your ears. I mean you've heard it and you've believed God's word. Heaven is a place for those who have listened to and believed God's word. Notice the end here, this last exchange where, where uh, the rich man says, hey, well, if I can't be helped here personally, well, at least send Lazarus to my father's house to warn my brothers so they don't end up here. And how does Abraham respond? He says, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. They have Moses and the prophets. What does Abraham mean here when he says they have Moses and the prophets? Did he mean Moses and the prophets were literally physically there with him? No, no, of course not. He was referring to the Old Testament, the writings of Moses, the writings of the prophets. And he was saying, they've got the scriptures. They should listen to them. And the rich man protests and says, well, no, they won't necessarily believe if they just read the Bible. But if you send somebody back from the dead, that'll get them. That'll, that'll, that'll do it. Abraham says, nope. If they don't listen to the scriptures, they won't even be persuaded if someone comes back from the dead. Now, it's interesting. Lazar, this Lazarus is not the same uh, individual, obviously, that Jesus knew who was also named Lazarus. Jesus had dear friends who were uh, a brother and two sisters, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, and we read about them in the Gospel of John around the, uh, the 10th and 11th chapter. And Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Again, these aren't the same individuals, but anytime you see common phrases and common words, even common names in the Bible, it is intended, part of the intention is that you are reminded of other places where those names and terms occur. And it's interesting, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Some people believed, yes, but a lot of people said, just hated him all the more. Because here's the thing, most of the time, our lack of belief in God's word, is it a mental thing? Yes, I'm not dismissing that, but more deep than that is it's a volitional thing. Our wills, our hearts, we don't want to follow God. I remember one atheist philosopher, Thomas Nagel, said this. He said, it's not just that I don't believe there isn't a God. I don't want there to be a God. That's really the, the cry of, of many people's hearts. We don't want to surrender. We don't want there to be a God who has authority over us by nature. But God calls us to trust him in faith, to open our eyes, to see that he is good, that he is the one in whom we should take delight, that he is the one who we were created for. We were created for him. Here again, this is the real difference between the rich man and Lazarus. Not the fact that one was poor and the other rich. Not the fact that one was morally good and the other morally bad. The key difference between Lazarus and the rich man was that Lazarus believed God's word. The rich man didn't. Heaven is a place for those who believe God's word. We should listen to the scriptures and here's the thing. 
Here's the thing. We have more than just Moses and the prophets. Yes, we have Moses and the prophets, and praise God, that is absolutely part of the word of God for us and that is, that is profitable for us. As Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all of the word of God is, is breathed out by God. All of the scriptures are, are inspired by God and are useful and profitable to us. But we have more than that. We have the entire Bible. We have the entire revelation of God from Genesis to Revelation that shows us what God did in creating us as human beings, who he is, most importantly, and who we are supposed to be as, as created human beings and how we're supposed to relate to him. And we know most of all the gospel is contained for us. That is the good news about who Jesus is and what he's done is contained for us here in the word of God. And we need to hear it. And that good news is simply this, that God himself loved us as our VBS scripture memory verse says in John 3.16, so that he sent his son to the world so that anyone who believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son to be a human being, fully God, fully man, to live the life that we should have lived in our place, perfectly obeying God's law, to die the death that we deserve to die, suffering God's wrath on the cross, but then after being buried, to be raised again, from the dead, overcoming death, overcoming sin, so that now when we put our trust in him as Lord and Savior, we can share in his eternal life. Because when you put your faith, the, the scriptures tell us this, that when we put our faith in Christ, it's as if our unrighteousness is replaced by Jesus' righteousness, so that when God views us, he doesn't so much see our work and our effort, but he sees Jesus' effort in our place because we've received that through faith. We have that good news, but we need to listen to it. We need to believe it. We need to come to that point where we have trusted Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4 says this, Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you the, as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel in a nutshell. That's the good news about what Jesus has done. But we have to believe that. Now here's the thing, folks, talking about hell and heaven. God didn't prepare hell for human beings. He didn't prepare hell so much for human beings. He prepared it for Satan and the angels. Matthew 25, 41 says this, Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. It was prepared primarily for them, but human beings who share in Satan's rebellion and persist in that, unfortunately, will share in the consequences as well. What was prepared for human beings? Heaven. But it was prepared for those who trust Jesus and only those who trust Jesus. John 14, 2 through 3. Jesus said this to his disciples before he was getting ready to go to the cross. He said, in my Father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I am going away to prepare a place for you. Uh, if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. There's two places that we can go. This is why who's your one is very serious because everyone is going to end up in one of those two places. There is no third option. 
There is no alternative. There is no halfway house, no purgatory, according to the Bible. That's a, a myth made up. There's two places, heaven and hell. And even those places are going to end up in two longer-term places, the new heavens and the new earth for heaven and the lake of fire for hell. But once you're in one, that's it. There's no second chances after this life. God offers us a choice to make. We don't want to make that choice, but it's a choice that God calls us to make. That's to believe in his son and have heaven as inheritance or to persist in our rebellion and say no thank you and by default to be separated from God and hell. And this is why sharing the gospel with others is so important because it's not just about this life, folks. We're going to exist a lot longer than that. 10,000 years from now, what car we drove and what schools we attended, even what jobs we have, as, as meaningful as those things can be, they, they really won't matter that much. What will matter is where do we exist? Do we exist with God? Do we exist with the people of God, all the saints, all the angels, or do we exist in separation from him? What's it going to be, folks? What's it going to be? As our praise band comes back up, I'd like to invite you to do two things, just two very, very simple responses to today's message. One, where do you think you're heading? You know, if, you, if you're honest with yourself, have you come to that point where you've trusted Christ, where you've called on him to be your Lord and your Savior, or are you still kind of thinking, well, you know, maybe, maybe not. Friends, uh, uh, to quote a line from a popular song, if you choose not to decide, you've still made a choice. You've still made a choice, and that choice, unfortunately, is the default to, to hell. Friend, don't leave out of here without being sure of where you stand with Christ and where you stand in terms of eternity. Secondly, if you've done that, praise God. Now who are you telling about it? Who are you telling about Christ? Because you have friends, you have family, you have loved ones, you have coworkers, you have people you know from your neighborhood, from the stores you go to, who have not come to that point of trusting Christ yet. It's not a guarantee that if you tell them that they will, but it is a guarantee that if you don't, they won't. So who are you going to tell about Christ this day? We're going to sing a song that I pray is, is true for you. It is well with my soul. And if, you're, if you know Christ, then yes, it, it is well with your soul. But if you don't know him, you're just fooling yourself. It's not well with your soul. It's not well with your soul. We want it to be true of everyone in here this morning that it's well with your soul. We want it to be true for people you know in your life that it's well with their souls this morning. So I want to invite you to stand at this time as our praise band prepares to sing this. If you can sing this in faith, I, I encourage you to respond that way, but be thinking and praying of the person that you can tell about Christ. If not, I would like to invite you in boldness to, to step out and come talk with me. I'd love to talk with you about what it means to trust Christ. Maybe you want to come forward and pray for that person or pray for some other situation in your life. But whatever it is, let's not leave out of the, here this morning without responding to the truth of God's word together. Let's take a moment, take a few minutes to respond to the Lord's word this morning.